Part two, chapter three of Lady Byron Vindicated, a history of the Byron controversy by Harriet Beecher Stowe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter three, part one, chronological summary of events. I have now fulfilled as conscientiously as possible the requests of those who feel they have a right to know exactly what was said in this interview it has been my object in doing this to place myself just where i should stand were i giving evidence under oath before a legal tribunal in my first published account there were given some smaller details of the story of no particular value to the main purpose of it which i received not from lady byron but from her confidential friend one of these was the account of her seeing lord byron's favourite spaniel lying at his door and the other was the scene of the parting the first was communicated to me before i ever saw lady byron and under these circumstances i was invited to meet her and had expressed my desire to do so because lord byron had been all my life an object of great interest to me i inquired what sort of person lady byron was my friend spoke of her with enthusiasm i then said but of course she never loved lord byron or she would not have left him the lady answered i can show you with what feelings she left him by relating this story and then followed the anecdote subsequently she also related to me the other story of the parting scene between lord and lady byron in regard to these two incidents my recollection is clear it will be observed by the reader that lady byron's conversation with me was simply for consultation on one point and that point whether she herself should publish the story before her death it was not therefore a complete history of all the events in their order but specimens of a few incidents and facts her object was not to prove her story to me nor to put me in possession of it with a view to my proving it but simply and briefly to show me what it was that i might judge as to the probable results of its publication at that time it therefore comprised primarily these points one an exact statement in so many words of the crime two a statement of the manner in which it was first forced on her attention by lord byron's words and actions including his admissions and defences of it three the admission of a period which she has ascribed his whole conduct to insanity four a reference to later positive evidences of guilt the existence of a child and mrs lee's subsequent repentance and here i have a word to say in reference to the alleged inaccuracies of my true story the dates that lady byron gave me on the memoranda did not relate either to the time of the first disclosure or the period when her doubts became certainties nor did her conversation touch either of these points and on a careful review of the latter i see clearly that it omitted dwelling upon anything which i might have been supposed to have learned from her already published statement I re-enclosed that paper to her from London, and have never seen it since. In writing my account, which I designed to do in the most general terms, I took for my guide Miss Martineau's published memoir of Lady Byron, which has long stood uncontradicted before the public, of which Macmillan's London edition is now before me. The reader is referred to page 316, which reads thus, quote, she was born seventeen ninety two 
married in january eighteen fourteen returned to her father's house in eighteen sixteen died on may sixteenth eighteen sixty this makes her married life two years but we need not say that the date is inaccurate as lady byron was married in eighteen fifteen supposing lady byron's married life to have covered two years i could only reconcile its continuance for that length of time to her uncertainty as to his sanity to deceptions practised on her making her doubt at one time and believe at another and his keeping her in a general state of turmoil and confusion till at last he took the step of banishing her various other points taken from miss martineau have also been attacked as inaccuracies for example the number of executions in the house but these points though of no importance are substantially borne out by moore's statements this controversy unfortunately cannot be managed with the accuracy of a legal trial its course hitherto has rather resembled the course of a drawing-room scandal where every one freely throws in an assertion with or without proof in making out my narrative however i shall use only certain authentic sources some of which have for a long time been before the public and some of which have floated up from the waves of the recent controversy i consider as authentic sources moore's life of byron lady byron's own account of the separation published in eighteen thirty lady byron's statements to me in eighteen fifty six lord lindsay's communication giving an extract from lady anne bernard's diary and a copy of a letter from lady byron dated eighteen eighteen about three years after her marriage mrs mim's testimony as given in the daily paper published at newcastle england and lady byron's letters as given recently in the late london quarterly all which documents appear to arrange themselves into a connected series from these then let us construct the story according to mrs mim's account which is likely to be accurate the time spent by lord and lady byron in bridal visiting was three weeks at Halnaby hall and six weeks at seaham when mrs mims quitted their service during this first period of three weeks lord byron's treatment of his wife as testified by the servant was such that she advised her young mistress to return to her parents and at one time lady byron had almost resolved to do so what the particulars of his conduct were the servant refuses to state being bound by a promise of silence to her mistress she however testifies to a warm friendship existing between lady byron and mrs lee in a manner which would lead us to feel that lady byron received and was received by lord byron's sister with the greatest affection lady byron herself says to lady anne bernard quote, i had heard that he was the best of brothers end quote and the inference is that she at an early period of her married life felt the greatest confidence in his sister and wished to have her with them as much as possible in lady anne's account this wish to have the sister with her was increased by lady byron's distress at her husband's attempts to corrupt her principles with regard to religion and marriage in moore's life volume three letter two seventeen lord byron writes from seaham to moore under date of march eighth sending a copy of his verses in lady byron's handwriting and saying quote, 
we shall leave this place to-morrow and shall stop on our way to town in the interval of taking a house there at colonel lee's near newmarket where any epistle of yours will find its welcome way i have been very comfortable here listening to the d d monologue which elderly gentlemen call conversation in which my pious father-in-law repeats himself every evening save one when he played upon his fiddle however they have been vastly kind and hospitable and i like them and the place vastly and i hope they will live many happy months bell is in health and unvaried good humor and behavior but we are in all the agonies of packing and parting nine days after this under date of march seventeenth lord byron says quote, we mean to metropolize to-morrow and you will address your next to piccadilly the inference is that the days intermediate were spent at colonel lee's the next letters and all subsequent ones for six months are dated from piccadilly as we have shown there is every reason to believe that a warm friendship had thus arisen between mrs lee and lady byron and that during all this time lady byron desired as much of the society of her sister-in-law as possible she was a married woman and a mother her husband's nearest relative and lady byron could with more propriety ask from her counsel or aid in respect to his peculiarities than she could from her own parents if we consider the character of lady byron as given by mrs mims that of a young person of warm but repressed feeling without sister or brother longing for human sympathy and having so far found no relief but in talking with a faithful dependent we may easily see that the acquisition of a sister through lord byron might have been all in all to her and that the feelings which he checked and rejected for himself might have flowed out towards his sister with enthusiasm the date of mrs lee's visit does not appear the first domestic indication in lord byron's letters from london is the announcement of the death of lady byron's uncle lord wentworth from whom came large expectations of property lord byron had mentioned him before in his letters as so kind to bell and himself that he could not find it in his heart to wish him in heaven if he preferred staying here in his letter of april twenty third he mentions going to the play immediately after hearing this news although as he says he ought to have stayed at home in sackcloth for unc on june twelfth he writes that lady byron is more than three months advanced in her progress towards maternity and that they have been out very little as he wishes to keep her quiet we are informed by moore that lord byron was at this time a member of the drury lane theatre committee and that in this unlucky connection one of the fatalities of the first year of trial as a husband lay from the strain of byron's letters as given in moore it is apparent that while he thinks it best for his wife to remain at home he does not propose to share the retirement but prefers running his own separate career with such persons as thronged the green room of the theatre in those days in commenting on lord byron's course we must not by any means be supposed to indicate that he was doing any more or worse than most gay young men of his time the license of the day is to getting drunk at dinner parties and leading generally what would in these days be called a disorderly life was great we should infer that none of the literary men of byron's time would have been ashamed of being drunk occasionally 
the noctes ambrosian club of blackwood is full of songs glorying in the broadest terms in out-and-out drunkenness and inviting to it as the highest condition of a civilized being footnote shelton mackenzie in a note to the noctes of july eighteen twenty two gives the following saying of mcginn one of the principal lights of the club quote, no man however much he might tend to civilization was to be regarded as having absolutely reached its apex until he was drunk he also records it as a further joke of the club that a man's having reached this apex was to be tested by his inability to pronounce the word civilization which he says after ten o'clock at night ought to be abridged to civilization by syncope or vigorously speaking by hiccup End footnote. but drunkenness upon lord byron had a peculiar and specific effect which he notices afterwards in his journal at venice the effect of all wines and spirits upon me is however strange it settles but makes me gloomy gloomy at the very moment of their effect it composes however though sullenly and again in another place he says wine and spirits make me sullen and savage to ferocity it is well known that the effects of alcoholic excitement are various as the natures of the subjects but by far the worst effects and the most destructive to domestic peace are those that occur in cases where spirits instead of acting on the nerves of motion and depriving the subject of power in that direction stimulate the brain so as to produce there the ferocity the steadiness the utter deadness to compassion or conscience which characterize a madman how fearful to a sensitive young mother in the period of pregnancy might be the return of such a madman to the domestic roof nor can we account for those scenes described in lady anne bernard's letters where lord byron returned from his evening parties to try torturing experiments on his wife otherwise than by his own statement that spirits while they steadied him made him gloomy and savage to ferocity take for example this Quote, one night coming home from one of his lawless parties he saw me lady b so indignantly collected and bearing all with such a determined calmness that a rush of remorse seemed to come over him he called himself a monster and though his sister was present threw himself in agony at my feet i could not no i could not forgive him such injuries he had lost me for ever astonished at this return to virtue my tears i believe flowed over his face and i said byron all is forgotten never never shall you hear of it more he started up and folded his arms while he looked at me burst out into laughter what do you mean said i only a philosophical experiment that's all said he i wished to ascertain the value of your resolutions to ascribe such deliberate cruelty as this to the effect of drink upon lord byron is the most charitable construction that can be put upon his conduct yet the manners of the period were such that lord byron must have often come to this condition while only doing what many of his acquaintances did freely and without fear of consequences mr moore with his usual artlessness gives us an idea of a private supper between himself and lord byron we give it with our own italics as a specimen of many others quoting mr moore 
having taken upon me to order the repast and knowing that lord byron for the last two days had done nothing towards sustenance beyond eating a few biscuits and to appease appetite chewing mastic i desired that we should have a good supply of at least two kinds of fish my companion however confined himself to lobsters and of these finished two or three to his own share interposing sometimes a small liqueur glass of strong white brandy sometimes a tumbler of very hot water and then pure brandy again to the amount of nearly half a dozen small glasses of the latter without which alternately with the hot water he appeared to think the lobster could not be digested after this we had claret of which having dispatched two bottles between us at about four o'clock in the morning we parted as pope has thought his delicious lobster nights worth commemorating these particulars of one in which lord byron was concerned may also have some interest Quote, among other nights of the same description which i had the happiness of passing with him i remember once in returning home from some assembly at rather a late hour we saw lights in the windows of his old haunt stevens in bond street and agreed to stop there and sup on entering we found an old friend of his sir g w who joined our party and the lobsters and brandy and water being put in requisition it was as usual on such occasions broad daylight before we separated End quote. from moore's volume three page eighty three during the latter part of lady byron's pregnancy it appears from moore that byron was night after night engaged out at dinner parties in which getting drunk was considered as of course the finale as appears from the following letters letter two twenty eight from byron to mr moore terrace piccadilly october thirty first eighteen fifteen Quote, i have not been able to ascertain precisely the time of duration of the stock market but i believe it is a good time for selling out and i hope so first because i shall see you and next because i shall receive certain monies on behalf of lady b the which will materially conduce to my comfort i wanting as the duns say to make up a sum yesterday i dined out with a largish party where were sheridan and coleman harry harris of c g and his brother sir gilbert heathcote dennis Kinnaird, and others of note and notoriety like other parties of the kind it was first silent then talky then argumentative then disputatious then unintelligible then altogethery then inarticulate and then drunk when we had reached the last step of this glorious ladder it was difficult to get down again without stumbling and to crown all canard and i had to conduct sheridan down a damned corkscrew staircase which had certainly been constructed before the discovery of fermented liqueurs and to which no legs however crooked could possibly accommodate themselves we deposited him safe at home where his man evidently used to the business waited to receive him in the hall both he and coleman were as usual very good but i carried away much wine and the wine had previously carried away my memory so that all was hiccup and happiness for the last hour or so and i am not impregnated with any of the conversation perhaps you heard of a late answer of sheridan to the watchman who found him bereft of that divine particle of air called reason he the watchman found sherry in the street fuddled and bewildered and almost insensible who are you sir no answer 
what's your name a hiccup what's your name answer in a slow deliberate and impassive tone wilberforce is not that sherry all over and to my mind excellent poor fellow his very dregs are better than the first sprightly runnings of others my paper is full and i have a grievous headache p s lady b is in full progress next month will bring to light with the aid of juno lucina goddess of childbirth fur opum or rather opes for the last are most wanted the tenth wonder of the world gil blas being the eighth and he my son's father the ninth End quote. here we have a picture of the whole story lady byron within a month of her confinement her money being used to settle debts her husband out at a dinner party going through the usual course of such parties able to keep his legs and help sheridan downstairs and going home gloomy and savage to ferocity to his wife four days after this letter two twenty nine we find that this dinner party is not an exceptional one but one of a series for he says to-day i dine with kinnaird we are to have sheridan and coleman again and to-morrow once more at sir gilbert heathcote's afterward in venice he reviews the state of his health at this period in london and his account shows that his excesses in the vices of his times had wrought effects on his sensitive nervous organization very different from what they might on the more phlegmatic constitutions of ordinary englishmen in his journal dated venice february second eighteen twenty one lord byron says quote, i have been considering what can be the reason why i always wake at a certain hour in the morning and always in very bad spirits i may say in actual despair and despondency in all respects even of that which pleased me overnight in about an hour or two this goes off and i compose either to sleep again or at least to quiet in england five years ago i had the same kind of hypochondria but accompanied with so violent a thirst that i have drunk as many as fifteen bottles of soda-water in one night after going to bed and been still thirsty calculating however some lost from the bursting out and effervescence and overflowing of the soda-water in drawing the corks or striking off the necks of the bottles from mere thirsty impatience at present i have not the thirst but the depression of spirits is no less violent from volume five page ninety six these extracts go to show what must have been the condition of the man whom lady byron was called to receive at the intervals when he came back from his various social excitements and pleasures that his nerves were exacerbated by violent extremes of abstinence and reckless indulgence that he was often day after day drunk and that drunkenness made him savage and ferocious such are the facts clearly shown by mr moore's narrative of the natural peculiarities of lord byron's temper he thus speaks to the countess of blessington Quote, i often think that i inherit my violence and bad temper from my poor mother not that my father from all i could ever learn had a much better so that it is no wonder i have such a very bad one as long as i can remember anything i recollect being subject to violent paroxysms of rage so disproportioned to the cause as to surprise me when they were over and this still continues 
i cannot coolly view anything which excites my feelings and once the lurking devil in me is roused i lose all command of myself i do not recover a good fit of rage for days after mind i do not by this mean that the ill-humour continues as on the contrary that quickly subsides exhausted by its own violence but it shakes me terribly and leaves me low and nervous after from lady blessington's conversations page one forty two that during this time also his irritation and ill-temper were increased by the mortification of duns debts and executions is on the face of moore's story moore himself relates one incident which gives some idea of the many which may have occurred at these times in a note on page two fifteen volume four where he speaks of lord byron's destroying a favourite old watch that had been his companion from boyhood and gone with him to greece Quote, in a fit of vexation and rage brought upon him by some of these humiliating embarrassments to which he was now almost daily a prey he furiously dashed this watch on the hearth and ground it to pieces with the poker among the ashes it is no wonder that with a man of this kind to manage lady byron should have clung to the only female companionship she could dare to trust in the case and earnestly desired to retain with her the sister who seemed more than herself to have influence over lord byron this ends chapter three part one the chronological summary of events read for you by michelle fry baton rouge louisiana